Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 2. My name is James Laidler, Australian poet, writer and your host. In today's episode, we'll be stepping inside T.S. Eliot's apocalyptic vision of our modern world in his famous poem, The Hollow Men. This poem presents a world descending into a state of deep moral, cultural and spiritual decay. Its inhabitants, the hollow men, are lost within the misty fog of existential uncertainty. It is a place full of restless, washed out and forsaken people. This is, as Eliot puts it, death's other kingdom, the dead land, the cactus land. Eliot describes this place as shape without form, shade without colour, paralysed force, gesture without motion. Published in 1925 in the shadows of World War I, the blasted landscape of this poem is filled with the forever wandering, the forever empty and the forever lonely husks of humanity. These are the stuffed men, the hollow men, whose lives refuse to rage against the dying of the light, as poet Dylan Thomas famously wrote, but rather whose lives simply bleed out, not with a bang, but with a whimper. But enough of me going on about this magnificent poetic masterpiece when you haven't even heard it yet. So let me present you with The Hollow Men by T.S. Eliot, read for you by the very talented Simon Jackson. The Hollow Man by T.S. Eliot We are the hollow man. We are the stuffed man, leaning together, headpiece filled with straw, alas. Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless, as wind in dry grass, or rat's feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. Shape without form, shade without colour, paralysed force, gesture without motion. Those who have crossed with direct eyes to death's other kingdom, remember us, if at all, not as lost, violent souls, but only as the hollow man, the stuffed man. Eyes I dare not meet in dreams. In death's dream kingdom, these do not appear. There the eyes are sunlight on a broken column. There is a tree swinging, and voices are in the winds singing, more distant and more solemn than a faded star. Let me be no nearer in death's dream kingdom. Let me also wear such deliberate disguises, rat's coat, crow skin, crossed staves in a field, behaving as the wind behaves, no nearer. Not that final meeting in the Twilight Kingdom. 
This is the dead land. This is the cactus land. Here the stone images are raised. Here they receive the supplication of a dead man's hand under the twinkle of a fading star. It is like this in death's other kingdom, waking alone, at the hour when we are, trembling with tenderness, lips that would kiss, form prayers to broken stone. The eyes are not here, there are no eyes here, in this valley of dying stars, in this hollow valley, this broken jaw of our lost kingdoms. In this last of meeting places, we grope together and avoid speech, gathered on this beach of the Tumid River. Sightless, unless the eyes reappear as the perpetual star, multifoliate rose of death's twilight kingdom, the hope only of empty man. Here we go round the prickly pear, prickly pear, prickly pear. Here we go round the prickly pear at five o'clock in the morning. Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom, between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response, falls the shadow. Life is very long. Between the desire and the spasm, between the potency and the existence, between the essence and the descent falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom. For thine is, life is. For thine is the. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang but a whimper. So I want to start here by saying a few words about the historical and literary context of the poem. The Hollow Men is a poem associated with the modernist movement. Starting around 1870 in Europe, modernism lasted to about 1945. Modernism in general was a movement that was made up of various views and perspectives, but what all modernists had in common was concerns about the drastically changing society in which they lived. Society was becoming increasingly urban, industrial, less agricultural and less tied down by traditional and religious moral frameworks. In response to shifting cultural goalposts, modernists engineered new forms of expression that departed from older traditions in an attempt to address the emerging realities they found around them. T.S. Eliot was one writer who felt increasingly alienated from the modern world. In response, Eliot tried to pioneer new poetic ways of writing that would express this growing sense of disorientation and disillusionment that he believed people were experiencing. The poems he famously wrote in the 1920s, such as The Hollow Men and The Wasteland, seem to be assembled as fragments, scraps of language that are loosely held together, but that read quite unpredictably. These fragments reflect a society that was collapsing, falling into disrepair and confusion. As a modernist poem, The Hollow Men mirrors 
the broken and crumbling reality of Western culture, particularly after the bloodshed of the First World War, and the gradual perceived failure of its once strong value systems. Living in the shadow of World War I, and left feeling adrift in a world that had lost confidence in its own cultural foundations, many members of Elliot's generation became hollow men, ghostly, empty figures left to haunt the world in which they lived. And it is interesting to note here that Elliot had a profound influence on the literary world at large, and more specifically affected the writing style and thematic concerns of authors such as F. Scott Fitzgerald and his novel, The Great Gatsby. Picking up on the images of Elliot from poems like The Hollow Men and The Wasteland, Fitzgerald describes the Valley of Ashes in The Great Gatsby, and in doing so closely mirrors Elliot's modernist outlook. Fitzgerald writes in The Great Gatsby, This is the Valley of Ashes, the fantastic farm where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and grotesque gardens, where ashes take the form of houses and chimneys and rising smoke, and finally, with a transcendent effort of men who move dimly and already crumbling through the powdery air. So here I want to talk about the form, meter, and rhyme, and the narrator of the poem for that matter. The Hollow Men does not follow a standard form. Instead, the poem is written in free verse and broken up into five sections separated by numbers. It doesn't have a regular rhyme scheme or meter, and its stanzas vary in length. Some as short as two lines, some as long as ten. As such, the poem comes across somewhat disorganised and chaotic. It never settles on a fixed pattern. Whenever it seems to, the poem morphs into something else. In a poem about fragmentation and trauma, this formal disorganisation reinforces the intended mood Eliot was trying to capture. Poetic forms like the sonnet, for instance, which represent the legacy of an older European style, have no relevance here. The poem is fragmented and disorderly, just like the broken stone described in the poem itself. Furthermore, The Hollow Men makes no use of rhyme scheme. It contains rhymes, yes, but not predictable, orderly ones. Indeed, the speaker only really makes use of partially failed rhymes, called slant rhymes, such as between the words meaningless and grass in lines 7 to 8. These rather unsteady rhymes prod and probe at the reader's senses. Their erratic and unpredictable nature reinforce the state of decay and desolation that the poem is describing. Like the hollow men, who seem unable to complete anything they start, who are gesture without motion, the poem's rhymes gather energy only to dissipate. The poem's rhymes are as fragmented and defeated as the hollow men are themselves. As for the poem's speaker or narrator, he portrays the hollow men as a group of exhausted, defeated people of whom the speaker of the poem is also a member. He describes the group members as being without substance. Their heads are literally filled with straw and he points out that their voices are vacuous. They show no empathy towards one another 
Rather, they flounder around blindly, praying to broken stone, or, in other words, to false gods and idols that can never bestow upon them a sense of purpose or meaning. Here, these hollow men can be interpreted as representing the generation that fought in and survived the war, emerging from it permanently scarred, unable to participate in or preserve their Western European culture, which seemed to be crumbling before their very eyes. It is interesting to note here, however, that another voice does make an appearance in the fifth section of the poem. The use of italics and the orientation of words on the right-hand margin of the poem indicate a new voice that is present in the poem. This new voice recites words from both the Bible and from a novel by Joseph Conrad, An Outcast of Islands. This new voice is able to quote these other texts precisely, perhaps hinting that the being behind the voice, unlike the speaker himself, enjoys an intimate relationship with God. In contrast, the main speaker remains in his state of alienation and confusion. When he tries to repeat the quotes of the mysterious voice, he can only regurgitate fragments. But thine is the... It's as though the hollow men have ventured beyond redemption. Even in hearing the Bible, they can only cough up empty and lifeless fragments from its pages. The speaker describes the setting as some type of underworld or purgatory and refers to the place as Death's Dream Kingdom or Death's Twilight Kingdom. The location is consistently bleak and desolate, being compared to a desert. This is made clear when it is referred to as the Cactus Land. It is a haunting and hopeless place that the speaker also calls the Valley of Dying Stars. It is full of ruins and damaged objects, broken stone and broken columns. These ruins serve as symbols for a failing and damaged European culture whose positive influence is in the decline. Poetic techniques. The Hollow Man is chock full of poetic devices, including metaphors, similes, repetition, consonants, assonance, alliteration, sejura, and jammer, and more. Too many to adequately unpack here. As such, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about allusions, which play a very important role in the poem. Before talking about themes in the poem, for instance, it's important to quickly take note of these many allusions that are scattered through the poem and they come from famous texts and works of literature. Each allusion is very important, but before looking at them in isolation, it's important to think about their accumulative presence in the poem, piled one on top of the other. The poem can be read as a kind of literary trash heap, onto which scattered pieces of European literature are being swept. This connects to the poem's intent to demonstrate the demise of European culture, whose former glory has ended. With its mixed bag of quotations and allusions, the poem itself is an image of a culture in decline, whose masterpieces have been reduced to rubble and whose authority now lies in ruin. The allusions begin in the poem through the inclusion of two epigraphs that frame the reader's entry into the disturbing world of Eliot's poem, although it must be said these weren't read out in the version that you heard a little earlier. The first quote is, Mr. Curtsy Dead and can be found in the novel 
The Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. Conrad's novel examines the story of Captain Kurtz, an ivory trader in colonial Africa who loses his sanity, moves into the heart of the jungle and sets himself up as a godlike figure ruling over a group of natives. The quote thus hints at some of Elliot's concerns regarding European decline. Captain Kurtz represents Elliot's greatest fear for his society, that it will lose its former instinctual and moral moorings in life and end up adrift like Kurtz, dead, hollow, empty, and floating like flotsam on an endless sea of meaninglessness. The second epigraph comes from Guy Fawkes Day, which occurs on November the 5th. The Catholic revolutionary Fawkes, in 1605, plotted to blow up Parliament in England and was arrested. As a tradition since the event, children would make effigies of Fawkes out of old clothes filled with straw to be set alight on the 5th of November. Children would door-knock neighbours saying a penny for the old guy to help buy what they needed, and this is the line that appears as the epigraph. In the poem, of course, the straw effigies of Fawkes become an image of the hollow men themselves, inhuman, ghastly creatures that deserve to be consigned to the flames. The poem also contains allusions to key passages in Dante's Purgatory and Paradise. In these poems, when Dante encounters his great love, Beatrice, he cannot meet her gaze. She is an image of holiness and purity, so holy and so pure that Dante feels it would be disrespectful to even look at her. Through the illusion of Dante, the eyes thus become symbolic of God and God's holiness and purity. The people who go to heaven have, the speaker notes, crossed with direct eyes. This will eventually become an important symbol in the poem. Eyes become associated with God and God's power to observe and judge human life. With their direct eyes, the people going to heaven are closely linked with that power. They are able to look at things and judge the truth. As the poem progresses, it becomes obvious that the hollow men's eyes have lost their directness as they hide themselves away from truth and judgment. And this perhaps occurs because in the 20th century we witnessed the rise of relativism and a decline in the belief of objective moral truths. The mention of the Tumid River in the poem could also be interpreted as an allusion to the river Archeron, which surrounds Hal in Dante's Inferno. And as for the fifth section of the poem, there is a direct allusion to the children's song Here We Go Round the Mulberry Bush, the speaker reframes the song to make it far more sinister and distorted. And finally, of course, there are multiple allusions to the book of Matthew in the New Testament in the quote, For thine is the kingdom. So I want to finish our discussion of this poem with a look at one of the central themes, the loss of culture and emptiness. The poem begins in a very disturbing fashion by introducing us to the hollow men, fragmented, alienated and shadowy figures who struggle to live in the real world and instead abide in a wasteland. The speaker points out that the hollow men's voices are dried to emphasise their barrenness of being. Their human voices, rather than being full of emotion and passion and sharp intellect, are quiet and meaningless, 
as wind in dry grass. As such, the speaker is suggesting that the hollow men's voices roam senseless across the landscape like the wind itself, depressed and lonely, having lost their humanity. In their perpetual state of crisis, the hollow men have also become a danger not just to themselves but to human society itself. In part two of the poem, the speaker describes them wearing a rat's coat and crow skin. These are symbols of disease and death, respectively, and they reinforce this idea that hollow men are dangerous to others. This does not mean that they are necessarily malevolent people, though. Rather, they are simply riddled with disease and their condition is contagious. Their despair and intellectual nihilism is like a virus that can spread throughout the community. And at the heart of the hollow men's experience are all the difficult questions rising out of the horrors and inhumanity of World War I, and the emergent idea that God is dead, first coined by Nietzsche, who famously argued that the idea of God was basically made redundant after the Enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries and the emergence of scientific inquiry. Probably most disturbing of all, however, is that the poem implies that the hollow men's disease affects the environment in which they live too. These men and their outlook, in other words, start to shape the physical world around them. For example, the landscape is described as a hollow valley and as a barren wasteland filled with cacti, dry grass and a whistling wind. But for myself, I can't but help to think about the hollow men of today, our very own selves, and how we ourselves shape the environment with our hollow values. This might sound rather depressing and pessimistic, but it's not that hard to argue that it is in our hollow and insatiable drive for consumption in the modern world today that we find the true force driving things like global warming and the destruction of our natural world. Could it be that we are shaping the world into an image of ourselves that simply reflects our own inner barrenness? So it's time for me to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. Next week on Lit Poetry, we'll be featuring a fantastic poem by Ali Whitelock and interviewing her on the podcast. I'm really excited by the video poem Lit Poetry has produced of one of her poems and I can't wait for it to be published. The poem should make for an excellent discussion. If you want to support our work at Lit Poetry, please remember to subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. More poetry resources are available at www.litpoetry.com and you can use the links on our website if you like to make a donation towards some of the costs we incur producing our audio-visual interpretations of poems such as when we hire voiceover artists and purchase music licenses. Thanks again for all your support and I'll see you next week. The Hollow Man by T.S. Eliot We are the hollow man. We are the stuffed man, leaning together, headpiece filled with straw, alas. Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet 
and meaningless as wind in dry grass or rat's feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. Shape without form, shade without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Those who have crossed with direct eyes to death's other kingdom, remember us, if at all, not as lost, violent souls, but only as the hollow men, the stuffed men. Eyes I dare not meet in dreams, in death's dream kingdom these do not appear, there the eyes are sunlight on a broken column, there is a tree swinging, and voices are in the winds singing, more distant and more solemn than a faded star. Let me be no nearer in death's dream kingdom. Let me also wear such deliberate disguises, rat's coat, crow skin, crossed staves in a field, behaving as the wind behaves. No nearer. Not that final meeting in the twilight kingdom. This is the dead land. This is the cactus land. Here the stone images are raised. Here they receive the supplication of a dead man's hand under the twinkle of a fading star. It is like this in death's other kingdom, waking alone at the hour when we are trembling with tenderness, lips that would kiss form prayers to broken stone. The eyes are not here, there are no eyes here, in this valley of dying stars, in this hollow valley, this broken jaw of our lost kingdoms. In this last of meeting places, we grope together and avoid speech, gathered on this beach of the Tumid River. Sightless, unless the eyes reappear as the perpetual star, multifoliate rose of death's twilight kingdom, the hope only of empty man. Here we go round the prickly pear, prickly pear, prickly pear. Here we go round the prickly pear at five o'clock in the morning. Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom, between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response, falls the shadow. Life is very long. Between the desire and the spasm, between the potency and the existence, between the essence and the descent falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom. For thine is, life is, for thine is the. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. 
Thanks for listening.